it's really just like building that foundation and making sure that's very strong so that you can jump off of it because it's very hard to like if you're thinking about like physically jumping off of something like a wobbly chair right like if, if you want to jump off of a wobbly chair it that's probably fairly dangerous right but if you have something that's sturdy like a sturdy platform it's much easier to jump off of that right like in a, in a literal sense and listening i think helps build that sturdy platform for, for moving further into the process and being able to communicate your own viewpoint Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible. And give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. How can you listen in high stakes situations, for example, in politics or in a crisis? In this episode of the Listening Superpower podcast, we will dive into the opportunities of these really tense situations. My guest, Matt Creighton, is the founder of Publitics, which provides counsel to campaigns at the local, state, and federal levels in the United States. He also works with clients in the private and public sectors around the world. Most recently, Matt worked on special projects during the 2020 presidential campaign, including having helped create President Joe Biden's viral, we just did hat. Matt talks about his experiences in politics as well as his experiences in leading his team. Enjoy listening in. Welcome to the Listening Superpower podcast, Matt. It's a pleasure to have you with me as a guest on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. To start off with, the question that I ask all guests are, when do you notice or when did you notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't? Maybe you can think of a moment when you first noticed. That is a really good question because I think it gets at this idea of the moment you become truly cognizant or, or aware uh, explicitly of, of something, whereas uh, sometimes listening can be intuitive and you don't really know what's going on or what is contributing to the process of getting to understanding with uh, with the person that you're talking to. So I would say for me, it took me a little while to hone. And it's a skill that that is never completely, right? You always have to continue to work on it, at least in, in my view, right? Like, and, and that's how I approach listening. So, you know, trying to continuously work on listening and really kind of digging into what people are saying to me. So early on in my career, consulting with various clients, some in the political space, some in the corporate space, I would often run into these situations where you would need the client to do something that to me was very obvious that that path forward was the right right thing to do. That was the right way to approach an issue or uh, approach in the particular instance that I'm, I'm thinking of. Uh, there was one 
client in particular, and obviously won't name names, but you know, we were having a, a little bit of a debate back and forth about an issue that this particular client had to deal with from a communications perspective that they had been involved in. And to, again, to me, there was one approach that was very clear, right? Like get out there, apologize, communicate empathy, and then try to move past it. But I, I was having such a hard time with this client, right? Because like going into this as sort of a young kind of an inexperienced consultant, you know, my, my thought was like, all right, you just kick down the door and you tell the client, all right, here's the, here are the next five moves on the chessboard and, and, you know, and then you move on. But uh, what, what I started to realize in, in that moment is that people are emotional beings and we all bring our own biases. We all bring our own way of thinking and emotional weight to any conversation that we're having about things. And in that moment, I was like, wait a second, there's something going on here. There's some barriers to actually taking the path that we should be taking. And in that moment, I was like, you know what I need to do is I need to stop talking and stop advising and start to listen closely to what this person is saying to me to really understand what those, what those barriers are for that person. And in that moment, it kind of clicked because, I mean, it took probably an hour to really dig down into the core of the issue and to really understand the emotional elements of it for that person. But at the end of it, I think I was able to bring a greater understanding of, again, what the barriers were to doing the right thing strategically was in that sense. So, so in that moment, I was like on a very sort of one-to-one level, I was like, you know, listening, right? You have to hear what the other person is saying. I mean, you can talk and talk and talk and talk, but it's, it's not really going to do much good if those walls are up. That was the moment. So you had this kind of aha moment, you know, after this debate or discussion or whatever was going on, and you guys just weren't going anywhere. And something that you thought should be easy was just not easy. And you said then, like, after you made that choice to shift to trying to listen and understand, then it was about an hour after that, that really helped you guys get to the core, to the issue of things. Is that, did I understand that correctly? It was, yeah. So it was about an hour conversation of mostly my client talking yep. to me. And it took about an hour to get to a place where this, this client felt heard enough mm-hmm. to move on to the next phase, figuring out what to do about it. So when you look back at that time, let's just dig just a, f- a little bit deeper into that situation. When you look back at the conversation, what happened in that next hour, and you made the choice to try to understand this person better, throughout that hour... Was it only about you understanding or did that process help this person to understand themselves better? It was definitely both, right? I think it certainly helped my client to understand uh, themselves better and how they were approaching the issue and talking through it or having the space to talk through it and then having someone on the other end of the table listen to that process. It helped this person kind of zoom out a little bit and observe Mm -hmm. the situation rather than being embroiled in it, right? Being completely wrapped up in it. And I, I think that's that's a huge thing when you're trying to figure out the right thing to do and you're trying to remove the emotion from decisions, especially in the communication space when we're talking high stakes communications. 
it's very easy to feel like you are in the middle of it, right? You are Mm -hmm. in the soup, you're in the turmoil. What you need to do is zoom out. And I I do think in a lot of these circumstances, the whole process allowed this person to process what they were feeling about the situation, to zoom out and then see the bigger picture. And then also to view me as a credible partner in helping this person through this particular communications issue which I think is a really important piece of this, because if you don't view the person across the table from you as a credible messenger, someone that is on your side, and rather it's, you know, you have someone on the other end of the table who is lecturing you, which is sort of admittedly how how this sort of started out, right? Because you have this, again, you have this picture in your head, a young consultant of, you know, these campaign managers or consultants kind of kicking down the door and, and saying what's what, and then everyone kind of hops to, does what you say, but that's not how it works, especially the client. So I think that process was necessary for me to be a credible messenger to help deliver that message to that person and listening really helped that process along. Whereas, you know, if they don't feel like they're heard, then you're just going to be, you're going to butt heads the whole time. So I think this is a really important message. You know, often we think that we have to say something smart, advise smart ways, give clear strategies, but actually the credibility that you created with this client in order to help to move things forward actually came through the listening piece. It sure did. Yeah. I mean, there was very much an impression, I think, on the client's end, looking at me and like, you'll never understand. Like, you didn't go through this. So if you think about that, if you think that someone fundamentally cannot understand you, then you're going to have a hard time taking advice from that person because it feels so out of the realm of your experience, right? So I think you need to kind of feel like that person, at least willing to hear more about your experience in a situation like that. So that's Mm -hmm. absolutely right. That credibility is so important when you're trying to deliver a message. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because even, you know, I was just thinking of uh, a lot of conversations I've had you know, recently or in some of the training programs. And I'm always asked, you know, how do I get so the stakeholder or senior leaders to listen to me? You know, like, and what happens if they're, you know, all frustrated and they come complaining? How do I get them to listen? Or, you know, this comes up often or to see, trust me or whatever. And, you know, often it's, it does have to do with the listening piece that they feel like you're on their side, that they feel like you're making efforts to understand them. You know, often we forget how, how important that is towards building uh, credibility and trust, which the research shows that, but sometimes it's kind of almost hard to believe. <laughs> it's, it's like, can it be true? Yes, it can be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. So you talk about when you first started as a consultant or when you first started and, you know, now it's been some years later. And so if you kind of fast forward to, you know, looking at where you are now and you were to reflect back on even how you've seen the impact of listening even in a bigger way or a bigger learning or something that surprised you even further, what do you know now about some of this that you may not even had known back then as, you know, this young consultant beating down the door, you know, for this one stakeholder. Maybe there's things that you can share now or something you can share now that you realized. Sure. I think, uh, you know, there's a whole sort of process element to this that we've sort of incorporated in, into our approach in dealing with any problem or any any consultant, right? So like at the beginning, uh, what we, again, you kind of think of, of things as, as a consultant of like, I'm bringing my, like, here's my take on the idea or on the problem that we're facing. And here's what we need to do about this. That's why you're paying me. But at the end of the day, one of the most important things that we, you know, I try to do now is that instead of at the beginning of any engagement, or even in terms of talking to potential new clients, 
the first thing that we do as opposed to offering our take on it is we ask, what do you think is the problem? Like what issues are you facing? Let's talk through that. And it's really kind of like an interview process. So I found that those types of things are extraordinarily helpful in, again, getting to where we have to be. Because I mean, you know, you can walk into a situation and think that you have the answers to everything. And I think that's the impulse. You know, there's a lot of incentive, right, to be seen as that person who can walk into the boardroom, sit down and say, okay, here is the answer to all of your problems. That would be great, wouldn't it? But at the end of the day, sometimes we don't even understand the full nature of the problem. That's sort of what, what I've realized and we've continued to hone and sharpen over the years as, you know, from that moment forward is, is really incorporating the whole listening process into the broader process of bringing clients on board, problem solving, uh, strategic planning, you know, strategic communications. It all starts with Let's hear what your take is on this problem. And there are a lot of reasons why that works better than just saying like, you know, here's the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Saying, so. In our conversation before we were okay. recorded, when we talked and preparing for this podcast, you brought up the term deep canvassing. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that is related to what you just spoke about. And if you could maybe explain to our audience a little bit about what you mean by deep canvassing and perhaps give an example to be able to connect it. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I got my start in politics and, and we still do quite a bit of, of political work. And in politics is in general, any any political issue, right? You know, we have this saying in the US oftentimes that, that's sort of a running joke on the news in the lead up to a Thanksgiving holiday, which is, you know, don't talk about politics or religion at, at the Thanksgiving table. Those things are very emotionally charged, right? Like whatever political issue you're talking about, whatever religious issue you're talking about, like those things tend to be very emotionally charged. It'll get, you know, Uncle Joe up in arms about something at the table. So that's sort of like the funny, funny thing that people say. And there's some truth to that. So, you know, working in politics, right, you do deal with a lot of issues that are polarizing that uh, one group of people thinks uh, one thing about and another group of people will think another thing about. And those things are often very deeply rooted. But, you know, there are ways to have conversations. So deep canvassing is this technique that was developed and it's it's research back too. So there are a couple of drawing a blank in the name of the the social scientists who worked on this. But uh, deep canvassing essentially is a process of listening to Well, I guess I'll go back to canvassing, right? So canvassing in the US, oftentimes a major component of political campaigns from the national level on down to Congress to even local races for mayor, uh, for example. Oftentimes you will have volunteers or staffers or even the candidates themselves go out and knock on doors and talk to voters. And the idea is to, that you know, that's a great way to get the message out to make sure that people are hearing what you're saying. But Previously, like a lot of canvassing really relied on a, a volunteer or the candidate or staff knocking on a door, telling the voter what the candidate's position was on a particular issue, handing them a piece of literature, and then walking away. And those interactions are somewhat effective in certain ways in terms of boosting voter turnout or alerting people to the existence of a particular candidate or the fact that there's an election in any given year. But When you're talking about hot button issues, you know, things that people have these deeply rooted, deeply held beliefs about, a more intensive process is needed. So deep canvassing was developed. And and essentially what it is, is using listening as a tool 
to identify common ground, whether that's common ground between the canvasser, the person who's knocking on the door and the voter. And that common ground may not even be necessarily related directly to the issue that you're trying to canvas on. So marriage equality, for example, there were a lot of groups out there engaging with deep canvassing on that issue and uh, had a lot of success in changing hearts and minds on that issue, or at least you know, shifting the intensity of opinion among certain groups on those issues, issues of marriage equality, right? So really, uh, the idea is, again, to find those commonalities between the canvasser who is presenting, a view, who ultimately wants to present a viewpoint, and the voter, and then using that common ground as a jumping off point to talk about these difficult issues in a disarming way. So again, it's not knock, 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 open the door and saying, you should support X or you should support Y. It's hey, let's talk about the ways in which we're similar. Let me hear about your life, your experience. What are things that you experience in your life? And what they found is really a lot of life experiences are pretty universal, no matter where you live, who you are, what your background is. I mean, some aren't, right? Like people do have unique life experiences, but there is a lot, for most of us, a lot of common ground. So that's the idea behind deep canvassing is finding that common ground because it makes the canvasser a credible person in a credible messenger in that scenario, right? So you as a voter then are more likely to listen to that person rather than dismiss it out of hand, which is oftentimes what happens when you come and say like, you should support X for these three reasons. It's like, well, no, I don't support that because I have this very deeply held belief about whatever the issue is. And the answer is no, rather than saying, hey, I want to hear about your life experience. Talk to me about what you feel in your life. And then drawing the parallels to the issue that you're trying to persuade someone on. So deep canvassing is is really interesting. It is labor intensive. It takes a lot more time than just hitting a door, handing out a piece of literature and then walking away. But it is extraordinarily effective. You know, I would imagine that the deep canvassing concept that's used for politics would actually be really interesting to use even within organizations when you have different stakeholders who have very strong opinions about different topics. And to use something like this might help you know, kind of get to the core of where things are, find the common ground and be able to move things in a direction that moves forward instead of this back and forth that happens all the time or, you know, where people get stuck. I could imagine to try it sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about like the dynamic between management and employees in some cases, like like there is a possibility in, in certain ways that the employees will view management as fundamentally not credible because their experiences don't line up their day-to-day experiences like the perception of that doesn't line up so then like if management is trying to get across a new initiative or is trying to communicate something you know they're not doing it in a super effective way to the point where it can be actually quite alienating i mean we saw a lot of that with like the return to the office mm-hmm. communication we still see it <laughs> <laughs> yes yes people are still very yeah. much working through it <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, so what I hear you saying in some of these different examples, and also with your original story, it's like listening is, is taking things to another level. Is that how you see things? It's it's both taking things to a new level, but even just, I kind of view it also as building a strong enough foundation to stand on while you're having difficult conversations or, or are trying to persuade people of a particular viewpoint. So that's really what I I view. So it's really just like building that foundation and making sure that's very strong so that you can jump off of it because it's very hard to, like if you're thinking about like physically jumping off of something like a wobbly chair, right? Like if if you want to jump off of a wobbly chair, that's probably fairly dangerous, right? But if you have something that's sturdy, like a sturdy platform, 
it's much easier to jump off of that, right? Like in a, in a literal sense and listening, I think helps build that sturdy platform for, for moving further into the process and being able to communicate your own viewpoint. So I love that metaphor. And I was just wondering if you could share a specific example where that foundation was developed that supported being able to go to the, you know, support the challenging conversations that came after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of these every single day. And this is particularly true. So I'm, I'm thinking sort of on the client-client consultant relationship. We often engage in crisis, you know, communications. So when you're with various crises, you know, you, you get into some thorny issues potentially, you know, maybe your client did something or said something that was not taken the right way or was taken out of context and, and you kind of have to clean up after that. So, I mean, having that foundation is extraordinarily important in those places, right? Understanding how the client feels about that particular situation in addressing it, because like oftentimes in those crisis situations, all parties involved, especially the client will feel like they're under attack. And, you know, if you come in there and say like, oh, you shouldn't have done that, (laughs) or, you know, you should have done this instead, what's wrong with you? They're going to feel like you are not on their side. So kind of going back to the the earlier example, right? Like they have to kind of feel like like they're on on your side. They have to feel like, you know, you, you're on the same team so that you can kind of move the ball forward in unison together. So so I think like those are some really good examples of like in those crisis situations, having a really good foundation to, to jump off of. Um, and the other thing, too, from a, a mass communication perspective is kind of listening at scale to understand what a particular audience, whether it's voters or consumers, are thinking about a particular issue, and then being able to move on from there and deliver effective communications and do so as a credible messenger, right? Because that also works in that that scenario where, where you're speaking to a much broader audience. That's an extraordinarily important thing to do is kind of like build that foundation of like, you know, I've, I've heard my audience and now... I'm going to communicate my viewpoint. Like some of the best communicators, I think, do a really good job of actually channeling what their audiences are feeling through what they're saying. Now, they may not be saying the exact same thing in terms of the substance of their viewpoint or the thing that they're trying to persuade you of, but they do a really good job of channeling the emotion, I think. So those are some some interesting sort of scenarios, I, I think, that listening helps build that foundation and then gives you the opportunity to move on and actually like deliver the message that you, that you're looking to deliver. It's an interesting dynamic in terms of the audience. Like how can you do that in a way where they really feel heard and how do you know that, you know, the different looping back, you know, how do you take it, deliver it in a way that they feel like connected to that message. And then how are you able to even listen to that, whether they connected with your message or not, you know, those are probably different layers that that are important to pay attention to, I would imagine. There are, yeah. And I think like some people do it really well intuitive, like are really intuitive about communicating in that way and channeling what their audience is feeling. Like, I mean, there's there's sort of that famous, uh, you know, Bill Clinton moment, right? I feel your pain. And he intuitively was just an excellent communicator in terms of being able to channel the things that people are feeling, right? So, and this is, this is sort of an issue that we see in politics a lot. Uh, this is kind of a funny thing, but there's often this disconnect between the objective reality of what policies are being passed and the success, you know, legislative successes, policy successes, political successes, and then how people feel about those things. And 
or feel about the broader environment, right? So like, I think we're seeing that now where in the US in, in particular in our political system where there's this disconnect in polling between the objective measures of the economy, right? By all accounts, we're avoiding a recession, which is you know pretty remarkable. Uh, inflation is starting to come down. And there are all sorts of other, uh, you know, the job creation is moving along very strongly, but there's still this sort of feeling of malaise mm -hmm. in the economy. So if you're a politician and you're going to go out there and say everything is great, like you're looking up at those objective measures. And I'm going to tell you, even though you're feeling something differently, that everything is awesome, that, you know, the wages are up, inflation is down, you know, the sun is shining. You know, there are rainbows in the sky. Everyone's happy. <laughs> that's not going to be very credible. Like people are going to look at you and say, I'm not feeling that though. Like that's not working for me. So like you have to find a way to thread that needle of communicating the successes while also communicating that there's more work to be done at that point. And, and you find out very quickly again in whether or not, like, especially in a, and I use a political campaign as, as an example of this, but like you find out very quickly in a political campaign whether or not it's working because it shows up in the polling or ultimately on election day, right? Like did people buy that message that things are going well, relatively speaking? So that's sort of how you know. I mean, there's a lot of feedback in that scenario. So I would love to just do a little shift and I'd like to shift back to you and you know, I know that you work with a lot, like you said, a lot of uh, clients in pretty challenging situations, I would say, whether it's crisis, whether it's politics, it's pretty intense work. And, you know, <laughs> not everybody is attracted to this type of intense type of work. What has been the driver for you in this work on why you have decided to dive into challenging situations, challenging conversations? You know, what's taking you there? What's driving you? That's a really good question. I think that the most challenging situations are oftentimes the most interesting situations to me because they, they deal with with some of the bigger and sometimes smaller problems, but you know, in the grand scheme of things. But for me, it's an interesting place to be because you get to see how a variety of different people react to different things, right? Different messages, whether it's the client, the audience, the voters, the consumers, whoever it is, and then the subsets within those. So I really like to see the interplay of all of those things. I enjoy the strategic part of it as well. So like figuring things out, it's sort of like a big puzzle, right? Like a big puzzle to me. And that that's probably what's keeping me around. And now I'm not going to lie to you. It is it is extraordinarily stressful sometimes. Like, I mean, and, and anyone that tells you it isn't is probably not telling you the truth. There is stress involved in it because the stakes in some of these situations are pretty high. You have to try to manage that. But I think it's ultimately like if you can navigate one of, you know, any of these situations effectively, it's a very rewarding process as well at the end of the day. So whether that's a policy outcome that delivers benefits to a broad segment of a population or uh, it's, you know, a, a sort of consumer facing thing that ends up becoming a big success that really is kind of what, I mean, I've always liked the strategy that it's the, you know, strategy based games and puzzles and, and things like that. So to me, it, it's a big puzzle. And then also, again, being able to connect with people oftentimes in periods of great stress and you get to see a lot of different things or different ways in which people react to different situations. So I think those are the things that, that really keep me 
in this field and attract me to this field. And, and I don't know, there's a part of me too, that that's always been kind of like cool in a, <laughs> in a pressure cooker situation. I don't know what it is, but even when I was a kid, right? Like I used to lifeguard sometimes. And when something would happen, it was very like, okay, first step, like figure out how to pull the person out of the water. Second step, like, you know, it's, it's help them breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> breathe. Um, so I don't know. It's so I think maybe there's something innate there as well uh, for me. But, but overall, I think if I had to sum it up in one sentence, the toughest problems are oftentimes the most interesting problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. And you know, the lifeguard metaphor or having doing that as a kid, I think that's really interesting because it's not only, you know, you have to get really calm and be the calm one, you know, save, get someone out, get them to breathe. And then after they're back, then you have to teach them how to swim after, right? And how to do it right so they don't sink and almost drown next time. <laughs> and you probably do some of that. I would imagine also, you know, if you have someone in a crisis mode and you have to get through it, and then afterwards, how do you prepare so it doesn't happen again? I would imagine. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. a great analogy. Yeah. You know, you're managing your own company. You have a team. And so, you know, as a manager, let's go internal. Let's go inside um, with your own company. What are some learnings that you have around being a manager? And perhaps that might be connected to listening that you've noticed you've either struggled with or maybe have found what has worked or challenges amidst this environment where your team is also working in this stressful environment, right? So anything you'd like to, a moment of learning that you'd like to share with us? Sure, absolutely. That is something I think about often is sort of the internal, so we have a small team, but you know, by design, but, and we're close knit. And so we're very lucky that I have uh, an excellent team, a really strong partner who balances me out. The rest of our team are dedicated uh, individuals who are committed to, you know, the principles that we lay forth in the company. But I think like this, honestly, as we've grown has been one of the most challenging things as someone who started as a consultant, started this business as, as a solo, a completely solo practitioner, right? So everything that happened in the business for several years occurred entirely between my two years in my own head. And when you start to grow your team, all of a sudden you have to figure out how do you get the stuff out of your head and out to your team in a way that makes sense to them, in a way that fulfills the expectations that you have, you know, the high expectations for work product and conduct and service that you have for your team. So how do you extract those things from your head and then lay them out for your team in a way that that provides a, a blueprint while also creating space for them to bring their unique skills and talents to the table in the most optimal way possible. So that was an extraordinarily challenging thing and it continues to be. Like I again would be lying to you if I said I figured it all out. And I don't think any manager ever fully figures it all out. But I think the biggest thing for me is like the commitment to the process. So a couple of things that I've tried to do here are two things. So number one, I try to be very transparent about the challenges as a manager that I've had. And I think that has the effect of opening up the door to feedback from the team that is valuable for me. If I were to sit in a team meeting and say, like, I am infallible, I know everything, so do not challenge me. I wouldn't learn anything. And then th- that would create an environment where nobody wants to speak up if they have something to offer. 
And that runs so counter to the purpose of having a team, right? The purpose of having a team is being able to take all of the best parts of each of us and combine it into one final kind of path forward for our clients. So I've tried to be very transparent about the challenges that I've faced growing as a manager, growing a business. And I think that has helped, again, open the door to feedback, solicited and unsolicited, from the team. So my partner and I are both in charge of the firm. You know, everyone else that works with us, they're allowed to say and encouraged to say, tell us like if there are issues or things that we could do better. So I think that's really helped create that atmosphere of, of openness. The other thing that I often say too, like our, our sort of defining principle, I think as a firm is like, it's not about being right, which sort of kind of fits in, into the same thing, but it's not about being right. It's about getting to the right answer. And it's okay if we're wrong. It's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if my partner's wrong. It's okay if the rest of our team is wrong at points, but you do have to go through some wrong answers to get to the right answer. And we really need to, you know, leave ego at the door and say, like, how can we be humble enough, have enough humility to say, like, I don't have the right answer right now. But that's why we have this team here. That's why all of us are going to sit down and we're going to throw out our best ideas. Some of them are not going to be so good, including mine, but some of them are going to be great. And we'll be able to incorporate that into the solution for our client. So I think those are the two things is sort of being transparent about my own challenges, which I find has been an invitation for feedback and an additional dialogue around that, right? So it has to be a safe space to communicate. If you feel like you can't talk to your, your boss uh, or someone, you know, who's in charge of an organization about something that is bothering you, then like all these problems, they kind of just fester. Yeah, they don't go, they're there. <laughs> right. right, they don't go away. No, they don't go away. Mm -mm. That's right. You know, I would imagine also being able to be transparent and, you know, being able to talk about those things not only helps you to grow because you might get some great feedback, but it also is a certain relief that you don't have to hold it in, that we can talk about it, that we can work through this together, you know, that everyone is human. You know, there's a certain relief in that and it gives permission for others to be human too. We're doing the best we can and we want to get better, but yet this is, it's a process, right? You know, I was just curious, did you ever have some feedback that came unexpected yet shifted your perspective in like just a moment, a snap in time? I don't think unexpected necessarily. I guess that that's partially because like we've been doing this and like I again try to be cognizant of my and I have conversations with my partner about this constantly. Like how can we do better as managers in, in these situations? What are the things that we need to do? I mean, because that that was the other other part of it. After I, you know, brought on a partner, so it started. I, you know, I started this as as a solo practitioner, and then brought on a partner, and then we started bringing on other members of our team. So after, you know, sort of the solo practitioner, solo consultant phase, we moved into the partners phase, and we kind of developed this like mode of communication that that was like large. Like we just figured it worked for us, right? Like it worked really well for us, and. You know, we were able to work through stuff and, but it wasn't again, especially transparent. It was like a little opaque actually for, for like other people trying to follow along, you know, for, if, if we're trying to communicate expectations. So that was kind of feedback that, that we had been talking about together as, as partners and then feedback that, that we've definitely gotten from the rest of the team is like, you know, it, we don't have a full picture into 
you know, the process for developing creative or process for developing a strategy or process for this or process for that. Um, and because it, it becomes so automatic between the two of us that it, it just like didn't occur, <laughs> didn't occur to us to actually say like, oh, wait, like this is the process that we use, like, and really like actually think through the steps that, that we take rather than it being kind of a, this sort of automatic thing. So I think that was really good feedback, though not entirely unexpected, but but good feedback that we've gotten in different ways over the years that has sort of been like, and, and again, between the two of us, my partner, Henry and I, you know, talking back and forth about what we, you know, how we can improve, but also again, the rest of our team saying like, look, like we get it, like, you know, but there's, there's a piece missing for us here. Can you help, you know, provide or shed some light on, you know, how to do this? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, that's like, you guys are used to each other. You have a certain lingo, you have, you know, a certain expert bias, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that happens naturally. I don't want to say a little club, but a little club, you know, and then all of a sudden now it's just not the two of you. Now there's more people and they may understand a certain amount, but there's things that are missing in the context or the history or what things that are in your minds that you think that we, I mean, this is normal for us, right? That we think that people just know it. <laughs> and so, so making that visible, making that transparent, and it probably also helped the two of you be more intentional in the work that you do by making it more clear about what is it that you are doing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, that, to your point, like we didn't really actually, again, think through the steps of what we were doing. It was all just sort of intuitive back and forth on various things. Then we would come to a conclusion or uh, develop a solution or a strategy and then move forward with that and not really think about like how we even got from point A to point B. It just sort mm -hmm. of became, again, this, this automatic process. Yeah. It's been a cool process presenting that in a way that makes sense. So, you know, what we've been trying to do is like in our Slack channels, for example, like take what we would do between the two of us, either via phone or texts or whatever, like email communication and just like lay it all out in the Slack channel, like the back and forth. So it's just like everyone can kind of observe what's going on there and kind of pick up on it. And if anyone has any questions about it, they can ask and can go through it. And, and you know, there have been suggestions too. It's like, well, what if we just did this instead of that? And, and those moments have been very helpful too in saying like, oh, we never thought, <laughs> we never thought of that. Because again, you have to have that humility to know that you're not always going to have the right answer, but you, you have to be committed to getting to the right answer. So, I mean, that's been extraordinarily helpful for us. Just let me tap a little bit into the Slack because, you know, I work with a lot of people who work with Slack and sometimes Slack can get overwhelming because there's so much information in there. And there's the question of, you know, what do you put in there and what, what don't you put in there and how do you navigate through that? But like in those situations where you, what you're doing is you're trying to make the conversations, let's say thought process, the thinking through process more transparent in the team, as well as to have a space that if someone wants to jump in and add to, or they can, whether it's a question or, or input, do you have a special Slack channel that's made for the thinking through process or is it in your normal, or do you just throw your conversations into like the general space? We do. Yeah. We do have a separate channels for, for some of the brainstorming stuff that we do. So that is how we separate it out. But we also kind of treat it as, as a discrete exercise too on its own. So what we've been trying to do is say like, you know, okay, like we have to develop an advertisement or write a speech or, you know, develop some market research or polling or something for, for a client. So here's what we're going to do. So on this, we're going to go through step by step by step. 
on this process. We're going to do this as a team. And like, this is the activity that we're going to do. So we, we do treat that specifically until it becomes more automatic. And it is right. It is becoming more automatic for everyone involved. Like the more we do it, the better we all get at it. And like when we bring someone new into the team, you know, we, we go through these exercises, but I do try to treat it as like a very discreet exercise, just like you would have, you know, a company retreat. I would say like, mm-hmm. we're going to do, we're going to do this today. Like today, our goal is to work through this one problem. We're going to go through the process here, really focus on the process and then do that. So it's clear that that's what we're going to be focused on in that day. Like we try to take some of the other stuff off everyone's plates so that we can actually, uh, you know, work on that process and really focus on it for a specific project. Now you can't do that for every project, right? Like sometimes we we have to move quickly. And and again, uh, like as a team, like we're constantly evolving. We're, we're, you know, they're, we're doing great, like in, ter- in terms of picking up on those processes. But for, for this, or for these types of things, like where we haven't done something yet, where we haven't quite mastered that as a team yet, we, we try to make it a very discreet, like we're going to focus on this today. That That's the thing that we're going to focus on. And, and, you know, it's an activity, right? A group activity that mm-hmm. we're going to, and I try to flag that ahead of time. So it's like, instead of just saying like, oh, we have this project to do, you know, here's a bunch of stuff that needs to be done for it. You know, I've been trying to say like, okay, like we're going to today, we're going to work through this. That's been helpful, I think, in terms of organizing and making sure that it doesn't become too overwhelming. Well, I love that because it gives it a little bit more experimental. It's about the process, not about the outcome, even though through that, I think sometimes when we take the pressure off the outcome, actually processes and focus on the process, I often think the outcome can be better. I think that pressure of the outcome sometimes is a blocker towards the quality of the outcome. It's funny about that. It's a, you know, I think when our brains are so focused on the outcome, we forget the process or something or get stuck there. So that's a great example. I love that idea. And to just frame it and say, okay, this is what we're going to do today. Let's take a break from some of this stuff. Let's focus on this, you know, and uh, that's a great team exercise. So we're coming to the end of our podcast and you've shared all different, we've gone all over the place here, you know, from external communications, the crisis to politics, to your role as a manager. And, you know, what I'm noticing is that you seem to not stay at the surface. Right. Yeah. I think... That's one of the most important things is understanding that the the first thing that you hear from someone isn't always the thing that's at the core of what you're trying to get to. Uh, So you really do have to dig down deep and and spend the time too. I mean, because it is a time intensive process. It's a labor intensive process, but it's worthwhile to do. Whether you're, again, dealing with your internal teams, dealing with external teams, like you have to try to figure out what that nuance is in what people are trying to to say to you, right? So like, and I think we've all kind of been there. Like if we reflect on our own behavior and own reactions to things, right? Like sometimes we'll get angry about something, some random thing, right? Like, you know, maybe something is out of place on your desk and you just get really angry about that at one day for no no reason at all. And, you know, if someone were to ask you like, oh, why, you know, why are you so angry right now? Oh, you know, the, you know, my pen holder on my desk was not in the right place. And that, that makes me really angry. Well, you've never gotten angry about that before. So like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, what's going on here? Is there something else happening? Like, are you okay? Like what's happened? So I think that's important because oftentimes like just beneath the surface of whatever presentation emotionally or from a communications perspective, there's a lot of nuance in how people feel about particular issues. You know, people are complex, right? It's not, we don't live in this very like binary 
black and white kind of world, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of gray area. And uh, digging into that, I, I think, is extraordinarily important in in being able to break down the barriers that stand between you and whatever endpoint you're looking to get to. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, not only for what we get out of it, but helping those, you know, usually the person who was angry may not have even understood why they were angry at that very moment either. <laughs> so yeah, that's nice. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience that would be important for you to share? Yeah, I would say that, you know, again, like just to reiterate the strength of any message is really, again, built on on the ability to understand your audience. And again, you may not be starting in the same place as your audience, whether that's a, a single individual or a much broader audience, like like a pool of voters, for example. But if you can be a credible messenger, right, and develop that credibility through listening and empathy, then I think you're going to be in a much better position. So that, that would be my, you know, my overall takeaway for especially, you know, dealing with thorny, difficult issues. You know, those are things that are, are extraordinarily helpful. Yeah, love that. So thank you so much for being on this episode. If people want to get in touch with you, how do they contact you? Sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So uh, just put in Matt Creighton in the search bar. I happen to be the only uh, Matt Creighton spelled that way with a K-R-A-Y-T-O-N. It's a very unusual spelling of the last name. So you'll find me there. You can also find our firm on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, Publitics. So that's P-U-B-L-I-T-I-C-S. We will add that in the links in the show notes for everybody listening. And it has been a pleasure to take us on the journey of these challenging situations and challenging conversations. And thank you for all the great little tips that you gave us today. Thank you for having me on. You have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast, where we dive into how to work smarter and feel better at work and at home. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced listening superpowers being put into practice, email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. If you want your team to grow their listening superpowers, you can find more information at listeningalchemy.com. I'm your host, Raquel Ark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Dorta Streicher for your impactful artwork, and Evo Tiemann for your inspiring music. It's been fun, and see you guys on the next episode.